Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Rain here from Tom's Big Spider. So first off, a heads up, if I sound congested, it's because I am just getting over my first cold of the year. I guess I've been fortunate because since coming back to school in the fall, I've been surrounded by kids with a myriad of illnesses, and I've been holding up pretty well, but I finally caught something. So coming down for it now, feeling better, but I can already feel the stuffiness in my head, and my voice is going to sound weird on this one, so this one's going to be a struggle to listen back to. I never listen to them all completely back, but I do need to go through to check sound quality and I'm not going to want to hear my voice. So let's get that right out of the way. I thought about taking today off, but I had the inadvertent day off in between the last podcast and the one before it. And just to explain that, long story short, I recorded the podcast on a Monday. I loaded it up. I thought I had posted it. And then it wasn't until about Thursday that I popped onto Buzzsprout where I house them and noticed that I never hit publish. So the I thought the whole time the podcast was out there. It wasn't. At that point, I didn't want to publish it on a Thursday and then do another one on Sunday. So I just moved it over. So people were probably very confused when I was talking about, hey, you're probably surprised by the fact that this is out on a Monday and not a Sunday. Well, they were probably more surprised by the fact that it would have been a week in between. But you know what? I gave myself a week off and I'm kind of glad I did because sometimes with school going on and all of the between the YouTube, between the podcast, or some days I just don't feel like doing this stuff. And I think that was a nice little day off to kind of just do things that I wanted to do, did some spider stuff around the house, watch some movies, you know, just relax. So I needed that. Although now I'm thinking I probably should have waited to this week because I wouldn't be all congested. But anyway, we're going to push through this one. To kick it off, I did get uh, receive an email. And the sad part was I planned on covering this last week. But unfortunately, I waited to post the podcast because this individual sent an email that was very, very timely because I had already recorded the podcast about losing your way, your confidence when you're keeping. You have some deaths. You can't figure them out. You start doing things that you normally wouldn't do to kind of react to those deaths. I shared some stories of my own where I did some really boneheaded things that I should have known better than to do. But because of the fact that I had some unexplained deaths, that was in the back of my mind. I tried to explain that, hey, I've been doing this for a long, long time. I talk about them all the time. I like to think that I'm giving people good information. But I have my moments too where things go wrong and I question myself. So I received this email. I'm not going to use the last name, but from Devin. And I think it, it was perfectly timed because I had finished this podcast. I loaded it up. I did not post it, obviously. But then I got this email. And I'm like, this is right around the same topic that we're talking about. So anyway, uh, Devin says, I'm losing confidence and needs some feedback. Until recently, I had only one death, and that was after I bought three half-inch C Versicolor slings. That'll do it. They tend to be one of the more tricky spiders to keep. One died right after I got it, but the others are still thriving. I didn't worry too much about that, but then a couple weeks back, my male Pionata died in a mole. I'm not sure if it was moisture-related, kept mostly dry other than the water bowl, or if it was because I was moving around cages and didn't notice he was molting. It sucked, but I chalked it up to bad luck. Then today, I noticed a two-inch OBT and a death curl. I rehoused it a few weeks back, and I see there's a molt inside, but I can't understand what happened. I've had it since it was a half-inch sling, and it was thriving, one of my favorites. Then, as I was watering everyone, I decided since I hadn't seen my P. Victori in at least a month, I'd check on it. Found it dead. It was probably four-ish inches, and I had it in an 8 by 8 by 12 inch exoterra. It had heavily webbed and everything and was eating great. Again, another one I got when it was half an inch. My tea room is kept between 75 and 80 degrees. Humidity has been around 50% and they've always had water bowls. I'm just kind of defeated right now. I thought I was doing everything right and I don't buy into spiders just die sometimes. I had to have done something wrong, but I don't know what. Sorry for the long email, but any feedback would be appreciated. 
So, Devin, very, uh, it's funny, I can identify with this a lot because some of the deaths that I've experienced recently involved spiders that either just molted or I thought were molting, and it's been killing me because I can't, killing them too, unfortunately, because I can't figure out, is there something environmentally that's wrong here that's doing this, or is it just a string of bad luck? So, first off, I hope, I I get it, and I, I know there's not much I can say except for the fact, please don't give up, we've all been there, I've been there a couple times where you things are dying and you can't help but you know one dies and I this is what I try to explain to people if one spider dies yeah there's sometimes things go wrong these in the wild they sometimes have anywhere from you know uh, 200 to 2000 young and a lot of those are not healthy enough to survive it's a failure to thrive they're just not going to make it sometimes it takes a little longer than others because obviously they're getting ideal conditions through us to kind of continue to grow where in the wild they probably would have been dead rather early but then something happens the body just can't do it anymore and they die so i understand that but when you lose two or three or four under similar circumstances that's the stuff that eats away at you that's the stuff that makes you or should make you as a keeper like Devin is doing here take a step back go all right what am I doing wrong so Devin reading through what you've got here my only guess and again this is not I'm just throwing this out there because it's things that I've noticed through my own keeping you mentioned that the temperature is 75 to 80, which is a really good, I mean, talk about a nice temperature range. That's fantastic for growth. But if it's more towards that 80 range and we're keeping spiders mostly dry, it's excellent that you're keeping water dishes in there. But some of the species that you're mentioning, I do know from just keeping them myself, are what I would consider somewhat moisture dependent, meaning that I'm going to keep that substrate or part of that substrate moist at all times. So for example, the P. ornata and the P. victori are two species and this may not be an issue and you may be keeping them moist but if you're getting that higher 80 degree temperature mark and they're not finding those water dishes because again we talk about the importance of water dishes we talk about the fact that many of them have no problem finding the water dishes I have experienced situations where spiders just don't seem to recognize they're there they don't use them so for that's one for the folks that sit there and go they don't use them no most of mine do but i have had a handful of spiders that they have a water dish i see them they look like they're kind of dehydrated i sprinkle some water on the webbing and as a matter of fact this happened with one of my obts i have five of them uh, several of them find the water dish no problem one of them looked very dehydrated looked like it was starting to go into a death curl so I went you know what the heck with it I'll squirt some water in the side of a little squirt bottle squirt some water that thing drank immediately so even though it had a whole water dish and it wasn't in a particularly large enclosure it wasn't using it it would drank from the webbing and the substrate once I sprayed it down so that's always why we got to have that kind of the water dish in tandem with the moist substrate and in some cases with the boreal species I know a lot of folks talk about not misting and I think that just saying misting's bad is ridiculous because I will use misting with certain spiders. For example, I have my Linotheli species. Not a tarantula, but I think a good example nonetheless. They are heavily webbing. It's hard to keep a water dish in there with them. I do keep part of the substrate for them moist at all times. However, I've noticed that when I miss the webbing before bedtime, and I turn the lights off and I come back up there with a flashlight. They're all out drinking from the webbing. In the wild, in the morning, they would probably get morning dew on the webbing. There would be rainfall. It gets in the web and they come out and drink right from that. So that's their natural water dish. So I make sure that at least twice a week I go in there and I miss down that webbing at night before bed. And then usually what happens is once I turn the lights off, 
They come out, they drink, they're fine. But there was one time I remember in particular with one of my, I believe it was the Sericata. I missed, I didn't miss the web. I had a water dish in there. So I'm like, ah, no need to miss the web. And I saw it. It looked very thin. I sprayed a little water on the mist. It ran out immediately and was drinking. That was a heads up to me that I got to be a little more careful for that. So I don't know if this is what's happening. You've said you've done a couple rehousings. The first thing I would start with after my own experiences with having some mysterious transfer deaths is make sure that whatever you're using for substrate is okay. If you're using the cocoa fiber, the peat stuff, whatever, it's probably fine. If you're pulling dirt from outside or buying topsoil, then I would definitely check the brand, be careful there. That's obviously, I say that one because that was what I experienced the first time this happened. It was a bag or two of substrate that I got that was contaminated with something, probably herbicide in it. It was awful. So that's always something I think about. If you've recently rehoused any of these, that's something to think about. The other thing, again, is with that 50% humidity, which is honestly not a bad humidity level for the room humidity. I, I tell folks I do not monitor humidity inside any of my enclosures. However, I do have a hygrometer and a thermometer in my room, and that just gives me a ballpark. All right, in the summertime, if it's 80-something percent humidity in my room, it's, it's higher humidity. I don't need to moisten down the cages as much as I usually do. It's kind of overkill. However, in the wintertime, when it dips down and I'm running the humidifier and it's around the 30s or 40s, I need to be a little more diligent with that. So 50, decent humidity overall. I mean, overall room humidity, but that might be something where they're just not getting the fluids they need. So that's something I would just switch up with the rest of mine for a bit and see what happens try at night, you know, use a little, I have a little squirt bottle I use. If there's ones that are heavily, web heavily, you go in and you squirt some on that webbing before nighttime, squirt it on the sides of the enclosure. I like misting. When I miss, I don't spray it directly into the enclosure. Like I don't, that's squirting them with a bunch of air and moisture. It freaks them out. However, what I do is I open up the enclosure and I spray it over top of the enclosure and kind of let it fall down into it so I'm not spraying it directly. Or you can hit the sides of the enclosure. If you have arboreals, I like to hit the plants. I like to hit the webbing. I like to hit the walls. I've seen them come out and drink water from the walls, but that might be something to just consider for the time being. And then just monitor what you do from here on in. Pay attention to when they molt, how they're eating after they molt. Make sure that you're keeping the parts of the, especially for the Pisolotheria species and the Salmopia species, keep part of that substrate moist. And I'd even say with OBTs, I know there are dry species. They will drink. I've seen many of them drink from the webbing. So maybe try some of that stuff and see what happens. But hopefully, don't give up. Please keep me updated. Maybe we can kind of do a little case study here and and see, weed through, figure out what's going on. I will tell you, there's been times, and this is the part of the hobby that drives me insane. There are times where stuff happens and I never figure out what's going on. And sometimes I see patterns that make me believe that there's something going on there and I just can't figure it out and it eats me alive. So for example, some of my arid species, I've had situations where they molt, they seem to eat again afterwards, but they don't put on any size. I worried about I couldn't find the sucking stomachs. The molts were so shredded, I couldn't see if there was an issue with the sucking stomach. But it's happened a couple times. It's like, right, it happens once, it can happen. We talk about it. Every once in a while, I think you stated it beautifully here. Yeah, sometimes they die, but sometimes you're looking at a couple of them dying similar ways, and there's an issue. And I think this is a situation where something is causing this to happen. I worry that it's something in the environment. So, Please, Devin, keep us updated on this. Uh, let me know if, you know, through email, if there, if this is stuff you've already done. If not, try it. See if things kind of 
level off. I know how difficult it can be to do this. I know that now you're going to be expecting everything to die. Believe me, I've been there and I understand it. And that's something I wanted everybody that listens to hear and understand. I'm not one to come out there and be like, oh no, I got this stuff. I know how to keep it. I don't, nothing ever worries me. That's, that would be an absolute lie. I get worried. I freak out. And sometimes you end up doing things that are counterintuitive to what you should be doing. And that's where we got to be careful as hobbyists. So thanks, Evan, for that one. Sorry this was so late. I will shoot an email letting you know it's in the podcast, and hopefully we can take it from there and see where it goes. So for our main topic today, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to call this one because I think this is going to be an important one. This is one that people really need to see, and I've been kind of trying to figure out how to diplomatically talk about it and discuss it because it's it's one of those ones I feel like is going to unintentionally make some waves. And that's not what I'm trying to do here. What I'm trying to do is spare people losing their spiders because of the setups aren't correct. So I know I did, I've done podcasts on enclosures. I know I've done podcasts on putting the spider's needs first. And just kind of generally speaking, you know, we talk about theraphosa. Sure, you can put a theraphosa in a big, lovely giant fish tank, but is that the actual appropriate setup for that spider or would it be better suited in a giant sterilite bin that you can better control the side ventilation, the cross ventilation in it, where you can better control the moisture levels in it. We've gone through all this, but there's one, there's something that's popping up lately and I'm seeing a lot of them, which is people who are buying juvenile or sling, usually sling juvenile arboreal species of tarantulas. And they're setting them up and their species are mysteriously, and I'm doing the air quotes as I say this, mysteriously dying. And then I get pictures of the enclosures and realize that in my opinion, I'm going to throw that in there because I know somebody will take umbrage with it and freak out. In my opinion, they are not set up appropriately. In the very least, they're not set up to in an optimal way to allow those spiders to thrive. And just this past week, I've been contacted in two different instances with folks with situations like this. The first one, I was contacted by someone who had a juvenile Pisolotheria species. We're talking around an inch, probably an inch and a half, two inches in a fancy enclosure. I'm not getting into brand names here. And plus, there's a lot of people making enclosures now. So we'll just leave it open. This isn't to call out anybody, but it's to point out what I'm seeing as a, a increasing issue in the hobby. One of these fancy enclosures, it was the guy went to feed the spider. The spider had never settled in correctly. The spider bolted. He lost the spider. And then afterwards, he showed me pictures. I said, well, can you show me pictures of the enclosure? Because, you know, I've worked with Peace Lotharia a long time. And it just was not a correct setup. The second one had a Flamingo Kylis species. And he checked on it one day and found it in a death curl on the bottom of the enclosure. So once again, usually what I do is say, hey, can you send me some picture of the, pictures of the enclosure so we can figure out was there something wrong with it? And there was a lot wrong with it, in my opinion. Like, it's not how I would set up this species. So two instances, and that was just this week. I've dealt with probably around a dozen in the last several months. And that's just people that know me through the podcast or YouTube that are reaching out there. I'm sure there are others. So both instances asked to see photos of the setup. Both instances, they were not appropriate. And both instances, it kind of drove me nuts because they're like, oh, I'm a huge fan of your work. I did all my research. Yet they did not set them up the way I would tell somebody to set them up. I usually, when I do my husbandry videos or I do a husbandry podcast, I'm very clear about when I set up my slings and juveniles. And that's going to be kind of the running theme today. We are going to be looking at the way to set these guys up to allow them to thrive while not worrying about the aesthetics. Now, I get that there are folks out there, I really do, 
that they don't have huge tarantula collections. They're just getting into the hobby. Everybody that buys an animal, we've discussed this many, many times. You buy an animal, whether it be a gerbil, whether it be a cat, whether it be a dog, you want to go out and buy all the fixings, we call them, all the things that go with them, all the little toys, everything. When you're doing a hamster, a gerbil, you're going to go out there, you're going to find the correct home for it, the wheels, the habit trails, whatever it may be. And the problem with tarantulas is that there isn't a lot of stuff to pick up from. You could easily pick up a spider, run to Walmart, spend four bucks and have everything you need to have that spider set up correctly. But the problem is people see these sterilite containers, they see the deli cups, they see the dram vials, and I will, if I'm being completely honest, I think I've talked about it before, I did not like dram vials when I first got into the hobby, partially because of the fact it's like, what is the point of getting a spider and keeping it in a little vial? So I get this mentality, I'm not judging it here, but I do get that a lot of folks get in and they go, I've got this spider, it's a beautiful spider, I've been eyeing it forever, it's an arboreal, I want to show it off, and then they go out there and they look for the top of the line enclosure to put it in. And I think that's where we're starting to run into some problems in the hobby. I think we're at an awesome time period in the hobby, and we'll get into this when I start breaking down where the issue lies, where people are recognizing tarantulas are a big business. There's more people selling them, there's more people trading them, and there's more people recognizing that, hey, we can make lots of money off of creating homes for them and selling them. It makes sense, and I'm glad because it's about time because I can tell you when I first got into the hobby, seriously, I think there were two people I could think of that were making tarantula enclosures specifically, supposedly for tarantulas. You could tell they gave it some thought. They raised them. They were making these cages, and that was about it, and now we have a lot of folks out there putting these things together, but I think with that, we've kind of run into some problems, so today we're specifically talking about housing arboreal slings and juveniles. This is where I'm seeing the big issue, the biggest issue pop up. Are there some other things we could talk about? Yes, and I'm, I'm sure we'll cover them at some point. But I think this is becoming the issue that I see really needs to be addressed because it's happening more and more and more. And it's sad because we're losing a lot of spiders and I think it's totally unavoidable. So let's get this out of the way first. I, I, it's funny because I just put out a video where I rehouse two Somopia species. And in the video, I explained to folks that as slings and juveniles, these spiders are going to burrow. They are going to do some digging. They are, especially when you're talking about Somopias, obviously they're arboreal species when they get older, but they are also very closely related to a Phoebopus. They even kind of look like a Phoebopus when they're slings. And a Phoebopus are burrowing species. So when they start off, they do some burrowing. And I tried to stress to people that when you're keeping them early on, not only is it normal for them to burrow, but it's a good thing. That's natural behavior. And I had a couple people after that email me and go, hey, I don't get it. I just picked up Salma P.S. Cambridgei and I set it up in an arboreal enclosure. It's got like a half inch of substrate. It's got a bunch of little plants and everything, a cork bark. And it's just in the corner of the enclosure looking terrified it won't eat. And I'm like, yeah, it's because there sounds like there's not enough substrate in there for this spider to correctly create its sling home or its juvenile home. So there's a huge issue with folks that read that something is arboreal as an adult, but don't do the research to figure out they don't start off this way. So let's call, let's put this one right out there. Avicularia, Carabina, and Ibirapora species are ones that start off and pretty much remain arboreal from day one. Those are spiders that when you set them up, they're going to, if you give them a cork bark round, they're going to go up to the top of the cork bark round and set up in there. They may set up a little bit behind it, but they're going to web funnel up. For the most part, they those are arboreals that are going to start off as arboreal right from the get-go. So when I set up my avicularia avicularias, 
I didn't give them super deep moist substrate. I gave them your quintessential arboreal setup as slings. And then that's always been behavioral wise. That's always what I've seen with my Ibirapora. Same thing. Caribbean Diverse Color. Same thing. Those are going to be spiders that you would set up as arboreals from the get go. Now, let's look at some of the other species out there, some of the other genera of tarantulas that are arboreal that aren't going to follow that rule. And just some off the top of my head, Lampropelma, uh, Pisolotherius, Somopius, Formingochilus, Omothymus, Heteroscroda maculata I've had happen, Tapinokinius. All of those are considered to be, and there's other ones out there, arboreal species, but they will almost all start off when they're slings doing some burrowing. They will go behind the cork bark hide they'll put in there. They will dig it up a little bit. I've had ones dig Lampropelma and Omothymus and Formingochilus. I've had them dig straight up burrows right into the substrate, very deep in the substrate. They silk, they create silk all around it, nice little silk sock, and they stay in there. My Oviolosopes dug and burrowed till the day she died. 11 years I had her when I put her into her new enclosure. I put her into one of the 12 by 12 by 16 inch exoterras. She had a big cork bark round. I planted the bottom of the round into the substrate. She dug that whole area out and had a burrow in there. So it's important to note that if you're keeping a species from one of these genera, that they're going to start off doing some burrowing. That's important to note because what ends up happening is folks go read a boreal. They stop there. They go and they look up a boreal setups. They go, oh, okay, easy. Just a little bit of dirt, a couple plants, a cork bark or two, and we're good to go. And that's not going to be necessarily an appropriate or optimal setup for that species. And I can tell you, if I were to do a list of the most common questions I get or comments I get about spiders, one of the top ones I get are from folks who are keeping Pisolotheria or Salmopius species, two genera of tarantulas that I obviously keep a lot of species of and do a lot of talking about, that will contact me and go, I don't get it, Tom. I just got a sling. I set it up, and it's sitting right out in the open. It's terrified, and we find out they didn't put in a lot of substrate. Or I get the other one. I picked up a Pisolotheria or a Salmopius species, and it's burrowing. Is, is there something wrong with my spider? Did I do something wrong? And it kind of like, I get it. I don't get mad, but it gets a little frustrating because it's like, all right, right off the bat, somebody didn't do enough reading on these species. And when, especially when they come up and go, hey, I'm a huge fan of your work. I love all your stuff on Samopius and Pisolotheria, but I don't understand why this, isn't hap- this is happening. I constantly, in those videos, try to explain to folks, this is the behavior to expect when they're younger. They are going to burrow. They are going to create dirt curtains. They are going to be hiding on the ground more than they'll be out standing out there big and bold like an arboreal species. So this is something to know from the get-go if you're keeping these species. Now, why is it so important? Well, number one, if a spider wants, we've talked about this with every type of fossorial species out there, if a spider burrows, that's where it gets its security. It hides. It would rather run and hide than any of them, any species. Name a species. I don't care which one it is. The vast majority of spiders would rather run and hide than stand their ground. And where do they run and hide to? They run and hide to their burrow. So for these species I mentioned here that are known for being fast, potentially defensive spiders, you want to make sure that when they're little, and remember when they're little, they're also ultra fast. These are the same species people often refer to as teleporters. When they're little, you want to make sure they have those burrows to run and hide to. 
If you don't give them the space to do that, then you have a spider that is trying to either web up its own burrow and hide or doesn't web up anything. It's sitting in the top of a corner of the enclosure. It's scared. It's not eating. It may, you may get a threat posture. It may bolt. You have a situation like the one I mentioned before with the piece of Letheria species. The enclosure had, which is just not appropriate any which way. It was a smaller spider, so it should have had room to dig. The burrow, it should have cork bark in there. And the way the enclosure was, it was set up to show this spider off and display it and not give it a place to hide. So when they open up the enclosure, the spider got spooked, it boogied. That's going to be one of their other defense mechanisms, not necessarily to stand their ground, especially when you're talking about peaceful etheria, they're going to run. So that's why the spider ran in that situation. So that's the first reason to give them room to hide if disturbed instead of bolting out of the enclosure or giving you threat postures, being a a pain in the butt. The second one is the majority of the species, not all of them, looking up at my list, all the species up there, even H. maculata need some moisture early on. So when you have a species that requires some moisture, a trick to making sure that they always have access to that moisture is to include deep substrate. Give them deep, moist substrate. I say it so many times. You don't want to give them an inch of fluffy cocoa fiber that's going to dry off in like 48 hours. There should be packed down three or four inches of moist substrate so that it is able to retain that moisture and so that the spider can burrow to the moisture level that it needs. Now, earlier I spoke about the Firmingo Kylis that was in the death curl. They sent me the photos of it. It was in a, a wonderfully, a beautiful enclosure that was, in my opinion, completely inappropriate for the spider. It looked like it had maybe, maybe an inch and a half of substrate. And I think I'm honestly being generous here. I don't think it was anywhere near that. I think it was more about an inch. It looked fluffy. It looked dried out. They're like, oh, I just squirted some water in, you know, the night before. It wasn't enough substrate. There wasn't enough substrate in there, A, for it to hold the moisture level, the level that that species of tarantula was going to require. And B, there was zero room for burrowing. The poor spider was in an enclosure that did have a little cork bark that ran up and then some little decorations that they were cute. I don't know how much they really offered in terms of like security as far as offering the spider a place to hide. It just wasn't an appropriate setup. If it had been an adult that was big and bold and out there, maybe a little bit better, but this wasn't an adult. It was a large sling to a smaller juvenile. And honestly, after looking at the enclosure, part of the issues came from the fact that the enclosure just wasn't designed to suit this particular spider. Now, the problem with that, and let's get into the issues that we're having. I think there's two main issues that we're running into as far as how we're setting up our sling and juvenile arboreal species. Two main issues. Number one, I the the big issue, and I, I put this on the, I'm, I'm going to put a lot of the blame, unfortunately, on the keepers themselves. Folks aren't doing their research or they aren't doing good research. And uh, I think, again, this could almost be a two-pronged one. Number one, I think a lot of folks go out there, they read a species, they read the description on the website, it says arboreal, they look up arboreal tarantula, they see a bunch of pictures of what an arboreal enclosure looks like, they set one of those up for their sling or their juvenile, and they think, man, I'm okay, I did, I did a good job here. And unfortunately, they're not digging in further, they're not getting to the good information out there. And I think the problem is a lot of the good information isn't necessarily the most exciting information. So it gets buried sometimes, but they're not getting that information that tells them, yes, they're arboreal when they're adults, but as slings and juveniles are going to burrow and therefore you got to set them up correctly. And I want to make it clear. I don't want people hearing this and going, oh, Tom says you got to set all these species up as fossorials. Nope. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, and it's a very simple solution, you need an enclosure for your sling and juvenile that allows you to put in at least a couple inches of that moist substrate. And then you set the top part up like an arboreal. 
So the only difference from a regular arboreal, and I'm not a substrate Scrooge anyway. I honestly, for my older arboreals now, I put in a lot more substrate than I used to. I think everything can benefit from extra deep substrate, especially if it's a moisture-dependent species. But in this case, with the slings and juveniles, extra important that you make sure, set them up, put the little cork mark round, put the cork mark flat leaning against the side there so they can hide behind it or hide on it. Put some of the fake foliage in there, but make sure you're giving them extra substrate. That's what I'm saying. Set them up like an arboreal, but there better be a lot of room in that enclosure. That litter dam better permit for several inches of moist substrate. But again, I think folks aren't doing the research. Where it can get a little frustrating for me is when somebody comes on and they immediately, and nobody needs to do this. I don't need compliments. I, I'm kind of one of those ones I'm in teaching mode when I do this. So I, I'm not used to my kids going, Mr. Moran, you're an awesome teacher. I love your class. Can you answer this question? Just raise your hand, ask a question. But a lot of folks feel the need to start it off like, I've been a huge fan of your work for years. I listen to your podcast. I listen to your, I, I watch your YouTube channel. I've, I've been on your website. Hey, I don't get why my piece of Letharia is burrowing. And then right there, it's like you just exposed yourself for not having listened to what I say because I've been covering those for a long time. Same thing with Psalmopius. And I make it very, very clear that this behavior is normal and should be encouraged. And luckily, I've had many people that say, hey, I got my first Somopia species. I got my first piece of Letharia species. I've been watching your videos for years. You convinced me. And then they show me the setups, and they're perfect. They got deep, moist substrate. They're like, yep, they did just what you said. They burrowed behind it a little bit, created dirt curtains. They kind of hide in there. And it makes me so happy because it's like, all right, that information, I put it out there, and somebody actually listened. But unfortunately, I think a lot of people are getting information from other places. They're seeing stuff online. They're seeing setups on Instagram, which I have an Instagram. And lately, I've been seeing some setups that are abysmal that are being thrown out there by people who should know better, should be showing how to correctly set these guys up. And instead, we're going to have more of these issues because they're not set up appropriately. At least in my opinion, I always throw that out there. I'm sure people can grow them up this way, but it's not having raised many of these species of spiders. I can tell you it's not the optimal way to raise them. They're not the optimal enclosure. So that's one thing right off the bat. Folks aren't, they're either not doing the research or they're not doing good research, or they're not doing thorough, doing thorough research. Thorough research means you don't take the first thing that you find and go, okay, that's it, word of God, let's move on. And I tell people the same thing when they find my stuff. Feel free to listen to what other people are saying. You know, Compare, contrast. Don't just take the first video you find and go, oh, this guy's got a YouTube channel, or this woman's got a YouTube channel, therefore they must know what they're talking about. Not always the case. So make sure you dig deeper. Go on the boards. The boards are the best place. You're racking the boards. You do a quick search of these. You're going to have a bunch of people telling you, yes, that's completely normal. Do the search. Talk to groups. Get that information beforehand. And some folks, unfortunately, again, when we talk about thorough research, grabbing the first one, not going to work, not digging deeper, you know, and reading more sources, that's a problem right off the bat. And sometimes it just comes down to the fact they find somebody that's very convincing. They look like they have all these happy, healthy tarantulas. They must know what they're talking about. And unfortunately, it's not the case. So that's one of the spots where the breakdown is. They're not doing the good research. They're not doing the thorough research. They're not finding the right sources for their husbandry information. Now, for the second issue that's creating this problem with these spiders not being kept correctly... We go through a little bit of history of tarantula enclosures. When I first got into the hobby, 
there wasn't much out there in terms of an actual tarantula enclosure. And what I mean by that is a lot of the folks, when I first got mine in the 90s, there was nothing. Nobody was making tarantula enclosures. When you went to buy a tarantula, it was at a pet store where they had it in a 10-gallon aquarium. It was at a reptile show where everybody was selling reptiles, but they'd throw a couple tarantulas in there. They'd keep them incorrectly. They'd be throwing up you know, defensive poses, slapping people like, oh my God, this is horrific. And they were used to just drawing customers, but nobody knew how to keep them. They were keeping them in reptile cages. They were keeping them in fish tanks. They were keeping them all kinds of things that weren't necessarily made with tarantulas in mind. Then, as I started getting more interested in the hobby years later in their 2000s, that's when I noticed there were a couple folks making tarantula enclosures. There weren't many. One that used to be out there, I forget, was like Tarantula Cage Incorporated. So they had a whole name. They made these beautiful, supposedly specifically made for tarantula enclosures that were very, very pricey but were good looking. Unfortunately, a lot of them used screen vents, which we found out later on, not good for tarantulas. And then there were the Jamie's enclosures. Jamie's tarantulas were one of the first to go out there and go, all right, I'm going to make an enclosure with specifically with tarantulas in mind, and I love them. I have a few of them. They're great enclosures. You could tell whoever made them was thinking, this is going to be for a tarantula. What would I do if I wanted the perfect tarantula cage? Or at that time, what we thought would be the perfect tarantula cage. So that was about it. Most folks, when they got into keeping tarantulas, would discover that there's really nothing out there for them. So they would keep them in fish tanks. They would use like Sterilite containers that have been popular for decades. They would use deli cups for slings. They would use... Dram vials for slings. They would use deli cups for juveniles. They would use critter keepers. They were all containers that were already out there that were made kind of for other animals or kind of an all-purpose thing like the critter keeper, and they would use those for their spiders. And we used that for a while. However, as the hobby has exploded in the past 10 years, folks started to realize that there was a market there for actual tarantula enclosures, for a cage or a home that was specifically constructed with the needs of a tarantula in mind. And I started watching these pop out, pop up a bit, and I'm like, this is great, because for the longest time, we didn't have people that kept these animals designing the enclosures. All of a sudden, we had people out there that were going, all right, you know, I see this herp cult thing. This is, these things are really neat. They're kind of more for reptiles and such, but these could be great for tarantulas. So somebody got the great idea of taking that, relabeling it as a tarantula enclosure, using it for that. Then other people realize, hey, we can do this too. And they start making changes. And then I start seeing people specifically go out there designing enclosures with a tarantula in mind. Arachnocysts, the folks that make arachnocysts, I love when I spoke to them. And they, you could tell, were keeping in mind these are going to be specifically for the tarantula hobby. They, when they designed these, it was with that experience level that this is what I would need for the specimen or this species. How do I make that a reality as far as the enclosure is concerned? And they were made with uh, at least the early ones. I haven't been on the site in a long time, but I know some of the early designs I saw are fantastic for tarantulas. So we had a little golden age there where for the first time we were seeing folks make appropriate enclosures for our pets. And it was awesome. And I remember thinking, I can't wait to see where this goes because I've had ideas for how to make enclosures for years. And I just had my, years ago, I found uh, this pair that was making their own handmade, basically acrylic enclosures. I tried to work with them for a bit and give them ideas of what I think would make for really good arboreal enclosures. They had front openings, they had top openings, they had deeper litter dams. Tried to come up with what I've used, seen in my experience that would make for a good one. Unfortunately, didn't pan out well because these guys ended up screwing a bunch of people out of money and taking off, so I was a little gun-shy to ever try it again. But I know I have ideas if I were to sit down and I've done it, drawn up, what I think the perfect enclosure would be or at least a good one for it. Now, what's happening is there's so many folks out there 
making these enclosures. And a lot of them are incredibly similar. They're manufactured in the same place. And I'm, I'm going to get into a lot of this. I've been putting together the notes for a video, which I'm hoping to get done around the holiday season that goes through all the different enclosure types I've used from everything from a dram vial all the way up to the nicest premium enclosure you can imagine. And I'm going to compare them and I'm going to contrast them and I'm going to rate them in terms of how appropriate I think they are for tarantulas. And I'm kind of excited about that one because I don't, I think it needs to be done. I think it, it, there needs to be something out there for folks to sit there and go, all right, there's all these choices. What's going to work for me? And I think there's some amazing stuff out there being produced. However, what I'm starting to see a lot of now is with everybody putting out, like somebody will come up with a new design. And unfortunately, in a lot of instances, what's happening is these people are sending them out to Chinese manufacturers to put them together. The Chinese manufacturers, there's no patents on these things. There's no protection. If you come up with the most beautiful cage design, the perfect cage design, they can then take that cage design and guess what? They're going to use it when they contact the next person to say, hey, look it, we can make these now. And then the next person's going to have it. So that's why you start seeing a lot of these things pop up and then somebody comes up with the exact same thing. I can tell you I've been in contact with the company that does these. I had them send me, a, yeah, I'm looking to do some cages. What do you got? And they sent me photos of two prototypes that two other people were currently getting ready to market. So they hadn't even hit the shelves yet. And here this company was like, and we can now make something shaped like this. So that's where you start getting now. We're coming up with a situation where folks aren't so much going, hey, how do I make the better tarantula enclosure? They're looking at how can I make something new and unique that will attract more people to pick these up. It's it's a cutthroat business out there. I can't imagine trying to do a company that creates tarantula cages knowing that when I come up with a really good idea, three other people are going to have that same idea within six months. So it's tough. So they're coming up with new stuff, new, and I'm going to say it, gimmicks to get folks interested in their, their products. Nothing wrong with that. That's how it goes. Unfortunately, what I'm finding is a lot of these gimmicks aren't really helping the tarantulas. They're aesthetic gimmicks. They're made to look really cool sitting on a shelf, but I think in some cases, the designs are really limiting what species of tarantulas these enclosures would be appropriate for. The way I've seen it, and in many instances, many of the designs aren't like, hey, I've noticed that my spider needs more substrate. So I'm going to, in this particular enclosure, is going to have a deep litter dam for that. No, it's some type of aesthetic tweak, some type of design that is meant to be eye-catching, but isn't necessarily, in some cases, makes them worse for spiders or tarantulas. So I think there's some confusion there because if I'm brand new to the hobby and I'm looking for a tarantula, I've identified this really expensive Asian arboreal species that I want to keep. And I've read some information and said, yeah, they're arboreal. I go out there. I go to this website that's supposedly making tarantula enclosures. It says tarantula enclosure arboreal. Perfect. They would obviously make an enclosure that was would work for any arboreal, right? Well, not necessarily. As an example, I have a few different arboreal enclosures from, I would say, a few different people that make them. We're not, anybody, we're not getting into labels here. There's some great stuff out there. There's some stuff I don't necessarily agree with. People use it. They may turn around and go, hey, I've used it. It worked just fine. That's great. But I'm telling you from my perspective and what I'm hearing from people and seeing from people and seeing these setups – not what I would say is an ideal setup for these tarantulas, but I have a couple juvenile arboreal enclosures that have either doors on the front that open that the doors where they're mounted only leaves about 1.5 inches or 3.8 centimeters of room for the litter for the substrate. Which, for an avicularia species, not an issue. These would probably be great for an avicularia, Caribbean, a versicolor, Iberopora species, something like that. 
I, I would have no complaints whatsoever about them. And I've had folks to send me pictures of the spiders in them. It's those species. They look great. But for all of those other arboreal species I mentioned earlier, as far as I'm concerned, these aren't usable for them. I have several of them that I've yet to find any. I don't have any avicus, small avicularia species now to put in them. Some of them, unfortunately, they're so small, the holes are so big that if I tried to put an appropriate size spider in it, it would be able to get out the holes. Others, even though they have an inch and a half in the front for that litter, the vent holes around the sides, they put the lower vent holes in, which is a good thing to have that lower ventilation, upper ventilation. Do not get me wrong. However, the lower ventilation, the rows of lower ventilation are so low that you can put about an inch of substrate in. That is not enough for those other species for Pisolotheria. As far as I'm concerned, for Salmopius, for any of those other spiders I mentioned, that would not be appropriate for them. Now, does that make them completely unusable? Without alterations, yes. Could I go in there, and I've done this before, where I take a strip of clear packing tape and I put it over the lower holes so that I can pack in higher substrate? Now, again, the front's only an inch and a half, so you can't put it so high in the front, but some of these enclosures, you can angle it up so it's maybe three or four inches in the back. That's doable. That's not bad. But unfortunately, most folks that are just getting into the hobby, the ones that are spending the big bucks on these, generally don't know any better. They see this is made for an arboreal, I just bought a Salmopia species. I just bought my P. victori. This one says it's for an arboreal. They put in an inch of substrate. They put in some decorations of fancy stuff. And they put the spider in. And they have a spider that's in an enclosure that, A, probably doesn't offer enough moisture for it because that stuff's going to evaporate very quickly. It's very, obviously, these enclosures are very well ventilated, which is a good thing. But so well ventilated with that bottom ventilation, the top ventilation, only an inch of substrate, that substrate is going to dry out so quickly. And then B, you're going to have a spider that can't exercise its natural instinct to do some burrowing early on. They're going to try to create dirt curtains. And obviously, can our spiders equipped to make their own area when the direct situation isn't provided for them. Yes, I'm sure I'm going to have somebody come on in comments and say, well, I used one of these for a piece of theory. All I did was pull up some of that dirt and create some dirt curtains behind it. Great, yes, but imagine if it had more room to dig. And if it's pulling dirt up off of that already very shallow substrate, now you have even more shallow substrate in there that's going to evaporate even more quickly. It's just not optimal. Can it work? Can a spider live in that? Yes. I will never say no. It's like when they talk about water dishes. Can spiders survive without water dishes? Yes, they can. Do they thrive without water dishes? In some cases, I would argue no. You're, you're depriving them of a possible way to get moisture. Same thing if you're a substrate scrooge or putting these species in enclosures that don't offer enough depth of substrate. So that's the other problem. And I will tell you, I've been contacted by folks who have come in and said, I have, and I love when people start to look at the enclosures. These are some of my favorite emails or comments. They, they have their spider, they get the enclosure, and they look at the enclosure, they read what I said about them, they go, wait a minute, this doesn't look right. It doesn't look like I can put enough substrate. And I've had folks go, hey, I just spent 70 bucks on this enclosure for my Somopius Cambridgei, and I'm noticing I can't put a lot of dirt in. What do you think? Should I use this? And a lot of times I tell them, no, I put it away. I'd use something more appropriate. It's not the right thing. If you want to keep that spider, give that spider the best chance possible to grow up. You want to make sure it has more substrate, more room to dig, more room to hide. It's better for you. It's better for the spider. I wouldn't use it. Or I've had folks come up and go, hey, I'm buying a Pisolotheria metallica is a big one. Pisolotheria metallica sling. And I'm eyeing this quote unquote sling enclosure, this high-end sling enclosure, do you think this would be appropriate? And there's been times where I've looked at it and said, nope, I have the exact same enclosure. It's collecting dust on a shelf behind me. I've yet to use it because it's not appropriate for that species. The litter dam does not allow enough room for appropriate amount of substrate in it, and therefore I would not use it. 
So obviously, folks like that are doing their research. They're reckon, they're getting in. They're going, it's not a Boreal, but I'm looking at this. And Tom said something different. And then they recognize, you know what? Yeah, I spent some money on this. Yeah, it looks beautiful, but it might not be the best enclosure for my spider right now. And they use something else. And I love that. But I do feel this is where the problem lies. Again, it's people that did their research. This wouldn't be an issue. It, these things wouldn't sell or just they, they would sell for the appropriate spiders. Hey, I have an avicularia. I want one of these enclosures because they're good for that. They're just not good for everything else. Some of them are really good for jumping spiders. Some of them are really good for widows. Some of them are good for the dry, the drier species of huntsman species. I, I put fishing spiders in them. I've used them. Those are generally what I end up using for, not for tarantulas. But when it's labeled as a tarantula enclosure and it only works technically or is only a good fit for a small number of tarantulas, that's kind of an issue. So I, I feel bad because we are at a point where people are making these enclosures, but I think we are in a point where there's money to be had. People need to keep the, you're doing a business and it's helping the hobby. Obviously, it's great that we have these enclosures out there. I just wish more thought would be put to how can we improve these to make them better for tarantulas, not how do I create something that has this new gimmick that it's going to attract more people to buy it and stand out from the rest of the pack. It's just, it's the unfortunate nature of business. So I feel bad for people that are getting into the hobby now that they do have these tarantula cages, but they pick up a spider, they go on to Instagram, they check out a YouTube video, they see somebody that has a big collection of tarantulas using one of these cages, setting up, going, look at how beautiful it is, but they don't recognize that in many cases nowadays, these people are getting paid. It's product, You're being paid to sell this product. They're giving you money. You're showing the products off. You're bringing them business. You're getting money. It's how the commerce of tarantulas work now. There's a lot of money to be had selling them, trading them, making enclosures for them. And so they see this person come up and put a tarantula in it. And I've seen a couple of these in the past few months that I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. That's a terrible enclosure for that. But people are going to see this, think this person knows better, not recognize the fact that it's a paid advertisement and then go out and buy the same enclosure for theirs. And then what's going to happen? A few months down the road, I'm going to get an email or a message going, Tom, I don't understand. My Asian arboreal just curl up in a death curl. It's dying. I don't get it. And then I get pictures of the enclosure. And it's like, well, there's your problem. That enclosure is in no way, shape or form the best enclosure design for this spider. And and that's just the way things work nowadays. I, I get it. I, I don't, do I like it? No. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I don't, I've been contacted by the people that produce these enclosures. Awesome people. I don't want anybody to think, you know, I'm sitting here bashing. They're not, they're running the business. I get it. I get it. But I've been contacted like, Hey, we'd love for you to, you know, send you some of these and you can talk about, it. I don't want to do that because if you've noticed in my videos and my podcast, I will talk naturally talk about something I find that I like. I love trying out new enclosures. One of the reasons I'm going to be able to put this video together because I picked up so many of them over the years that I do have thoughts on them. I have ones I think work really well. And as you can see, like with the barbarous growth stuff, I love the barbarous growth enclosures. I've been using a lot of them. Are there things I'm going to be doing an update video because winter's coming? I think the top, they have the heavily ventilated top. Are there some things that I would probably change about them? Absolutely. But for the price and for what they offer, there's something I can easily adjust on my own. And I always talk about that in videos. I've used Lorex plastics for years. Lorex plastics started off making these. They had wire vents. They didn't have a lot of styles. They've since made a bunch more. And a lot of them I like. They've taken feedback and they've gone back and changed them, made them more appropriate for tarantulas. I love that. I do. I have been on occasion been contacted by folks who are like, hey, we'd love to send you a couple, not for you to promote them, but to give us feedback. And I like that. It's like you're, you're asking somebody that keeps them, that has some opinions about them, what they think. 
But in many cases, I don't ever hear back and I don't see the changes made. I'll say, hey, I think the litter dam should be deeper. I think the holes should be, there should be fewer holes for a tiny little sling cage because these are going to dry out too quickly. And I don't necessarily, they don't, which is their prerogative, but they don't necessarily take the feedback or they take the feedback and go, hey, it's not worth it for us. Whatever, I get it. But that's just where we are in the hobby now. Yes, we finally got to a point where people are making things that are tarantula cages. The word tarantula is all over the cages. You go there, you look up tarantula cages, tarantulas enclosures. These guys come up. So in theory, they're making those cages we always wanted, but they've strayed from the path. They're now making things. That are, it's all about who can come up with a new innovative gimmick. Sometimes the gimmicks are fantastic. I've seen some, don't get me wrong. I've seen some cool stuff out there. One's closures that break apart in the middle so that if you're housing an avicularia that's uh, it's made its home up at the top of the enclosure, you can crack it in the middle and it doesn't tear up all the webbing. I think there's some great stuff out there, but then I see other things that are just like, these don't work. Or I see just basic the design flaws in some of their main enclosures that just it, nothing's been addressed. And then I... People email me, they go, is this appropriate? And I have to say, in my opinion, no. In my opinion, that's not something I would use. And I can back that up with the fact that I purchased some and spent money on them and they're sitting on a shelf behind me collecting dust because I can't use them. So good times, bad times. Good times because there are options out there. Bad times is because of the way these things are promoted, because of the people that are promoting them. Folks see them, they look great. I've seen some beautiful enclosure designs out there. I'm on Instagram. So, and that's one of the few things that like social media wise, I'll kind of surf through. And I've seen some setups that just, they look so cool. But then the the old keeper in me looks at them and goes, but th that doesn't make sense for that species. That's not how you'd keep that. That's a good way to end up with a dead spider. There's not enough substrate. There's not enough moisture in there. There's not enough hides. The spider's going to escape. A myriad of issues with it. So I'm hoping people hear this podcast. I'm hoping they recognize the fact that I'm not just poo-pooing the whole industry of cages. I love it. I will continue to buy these enclosures. There's some that I want to see for myself because I don't want to, I, I, I'm going to reserve my judgment. I'm going to reserve making any verdict on it until I've tried it myself. But there are others that I've seen that just, I can tell, I don't need to have it personally in my care. I can just tell by the positioning of the holes and whatnot, not something I would use for these species. But what I want people to take away from this podcast is the fact that as a keeper, you are essentially saying, I, my, I'm taking full responsibility for the care of this animal. I need to make sure that I give it the best, most optimal conditions that I am capable of giving it. So that means doing that bit of extra research, going out there and reading up on the fact that if you're keeping a Lampropelma, Pisolotherius, Salmopius, Formingochilus, Omothymus, Heteroscodra, Tapanakinia species, there are other ones out there, I'm sure. If you're keeping one of those species, recognize the slings and juveniles need slightly different setups than your basic arboreal. They need an enclosure that is going to allow for at least a couple inches of substrate. If you're scoping out enclosures and you click on the picture and they got this beautiful image of the enclosure and there's this band of holes way down the bottom that only allows for about an inch of substrate, I personally wouldn't use it. If you do pick it up, get yourself some packing tape, put pieces of packing tape over those holes, stack that substrate up so it comes up at an angle from the litter dam. So there you go. So for folks that have them, I'm not telling you, you, don't, you can't use them, just be prepared to make some changes to them. Can you pack the dirt up over the holes? Yes, you can, but I will tell you, although the dirt will stay packed in there, you won't get a lot of dirt coming out of the holes. When you try to re-moisten the substrate, the water is going to come right out of those holes. I have had some people that will say, well, you can take those and set the whole enclosure into water and allow the, the water to come in and fill that bottom layers. 
the problem is with acrylic that can warp the acrylic. So I personally wouldn't do it. But anyway, you can use them. Just be prepared to make some alterations. If you're keeping moisture-dependent slings, make sure you want, obviously you want ventilation, but slings are one of those ones where it's kind of tricky because you don't want too much ventilation. It can be tough to rehydrate a slings enclosure if it completely dries out. And some of the enclosures are out there. One of the issues I've had with them is I put a moisture-dependent species in. I put moist substrate in, about an inch and a half, two inches of moist substrate. It dried out very, very quickly during the winter months, like much more quickly than I was okay with. And I've had folks that contact me with the dead moisture-dependent slings on the top. They're like, I don't know what happened. I moistened it up three days ago. I look back, it's on the top. It's dying. It's too dry. Be careful of that ventilation. We want good ventilation. We want good cross ventilation. But when there's good cross ventilation on the sides and on the top, that moisture inside that enclosure is going to evaporate very quickly. So be aware of that. But this is why when I keep my spiders, and again, I have a huge collection. I'm not bringing people up here to show it off. So there's no, it's not like it's in my living room and people are going to come in like, what is that Tupperware thing up there? I get people that want good enclosures. There are good ones out there. I'm just asking you to do your due diligence, do your homework. If you pick one up and it does have that shallow dam, make sure you do some alterations to it so it's appropriate. But I have the luxury of that I'm up here in this tarantula room. Nobody's really seeing these for the most part but me. So I can keep them, the little ones I can keep in little dram vials that work great. I can keep them in deli cups. I can put in as much ventilation as I want and make sure that they have deep substrate because I don't have to put those ventilation holes too low. For my juveniles, I've told you I love using those, what are they, about nine and a half inches by seven by seven inch food storage containers that I get. I, they're milky sterilite, which people don't like, but they are so appropriate for either fossorial or arboreal or arboreal species that are going to want to do some digging. I can load those up with four or five inches of moist substrate, still do the arboreal setup on top. Want to be extra clear with that. I'm not telling you to set up, up as fossorials. You're going to do the, the arboreal stuff up top. You're just going to give them extra deep substrate. They're perfect for them. I've had no issues keeping my spiders in there with them accidentally drying out too quickly or with the spiders not being able to find the moisture they need. But if you're looking at the premium enclosures, please do your homework with those species. Again, lamp repellent, peaceful ethereum and somopius, because I do so much work with them, those are the ones I run into it, run into this issue with the most, where I have people that they have a piece of etheria that's either not settling in because there's no place for it to hide, or they're finding them in death curls because there's not enough moisture. Those are the ones be extra careful when you're shopping for enclosures. Ask around. Feel free to shoot me an email. I'm not going to badmouth anybody. I will say something, and I'm sure some of you out there have done this. And I just say, personally, I wouldn't use it because of this, this, and this. Or personally, I'd wait till it was bigger and could do this. Or personally, what I would do beforehand is cover up those bottom rows with tape, angle up your substrate, make sure there's nothing there, do this, this, and this. That's going to be my approach to it. It's not going to be, I'm not going to get into who's making what. I'm assuming... I would implore folks out there that are making these, try to, I, I, I get there's some cool designs out there, and sometimes you just kind of have to throw it, you know, you throw it at the wall and see what sticks, I get it, but moving ahead, try to look at some of those, you know, gimmicks that are actually going to be beneficial to the spider and not just going to be something that's quote-unquote cool. I can't tell you how many times, oh, that's beautiful, that's cool, but is it practical? And oftentimes the answer is no. I actually just got approached by somebody who has just gotten into the business with making these they were going to kind of, I'm, I'm hoping what's going to happen here because they have a design, a core design that I love, but it needs some, it needs some corrections. It, there's some things about it that I'm not hundred percent okay with. And there's some things about it that quite frankly, make it an impractical enclosure 
for several species of spiders. But the proprietor, the one that designs these and making them, is making them, has been asking me for feedback. And for once, I feel like they're listening to my feedback. They want to know. They want to hear what I have to say. So if that's the case, I could have some new ones that I'm going to be talking about. Because again, the way I do things with Tom's Big Spiders, I'm not in this to make, I don't want to be an official sponsor or somebody. I don't want to have be paid to show stuff off because eventually what what's going to happen is they're going to put something out there that I don't agree with. And I'm going to have to say, no, I wouldn't use this. And that's going to cause some friction. I would rather just go, Hey, you know what? I just looked up, I picked up this enclosure. I love it. Here you go, guys. I like this enclosure. I'm spreading the word like I did with the barbarous growth ones. I found them. I like them. I shared what I think the shortcomings or issues might be. I shared what I like about them and let you guys decide from there. It's something that I'm using. I have like with barbarous growth enclosures, I have purchased 20 of them with my own money. So that's my guarantee that it is something I use and I've had success with. I'm not getting paid by barbarous growth to talk about them. So that's why I avoid that stuff. But that's why hopefully moving ahead, if this enclosure works out, if they make the changes that I have proposed to it, this is going to be a nice little enclosure and a pretty affordable enclosure for folks who are looking for something that's nice. And moving ahead, if I find something that I like, whether it be a super expensive premium enclosure, because there's some beautiful ones out there, don't get me wrong, I love some of the stuff that's out there, or if it's something as simple as a piece of Tupperware, I'm going to tell you guys about it so you can make those informed decisions and choose something that fits your needs as far as appearance, but most importantly, fits the needs of your spiders. So that will do it for this one, guys. If it's an arboreal, if it's not an avicularia, carabina species, whatever, if it's one of those species I mentioned before, please do your homework. Please recognize they need substrate. Please pick an enclosure that's right for them. And I think you'll, you'll be happy with what you see. You'll have a spider that thrives. You won't have one of these situations where, yep, your, your enclosure looks great, but when you go to show it off to your friends, your spider's dead. That's, that's just a bummer all around. That will do it for this one. As always, you can find me on tomsbigspiders.com. You can find me on Tom's Big Spiders, the podcast. You can find me on YouTube. Probably won't be, probably be a YouTube short today. I've been trying to do a video every other week. It's just been too much going on and I'm not going to force it. I mean, it was a point, I'll be completely honest. It was a point at the beginning of the school year. Where I turned to Billy and I'm like, eh, it might be the year we kind of pulled the plug on this. I don't know. But again, it's just a matter of me backing off a bit, not making it so much of a chore. It's a nice part about not doing this for a business. It's a nice part about not doing this to make money. I can I can put out information there and not be beholden to anybody. And if I decide I need to take a break or slow things down, I don't have to worry about it affecting my income. It's a nice thing about having a full-time job. That covers the bills. I got Billy. I can take time off if I want to. But that's probably going to be moving ahead until things calm down. Probably around Christmas break. That's what I'm hoping to finish up that video on the enclosures. And then hopefully we'll be able to bank up a couple and then just give myself some breathing room next year. Although things usually slow down as the year goes on. Guys, as always, I truly appreciate those who tune in all the time, more than you can ever understand. It really means a lot. It's one of the things that keeps me going with this because it's. It, I recognize there are people out there that this kind of makes their day. So hopefully this made your day. That'll do it for me, guys. Stay safe. We'll catch you all next time.